0: Welcome to the Stepping Up Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Kingrick, a busy working mom who spent years searching for the perfect career and balance, only to find it's not about the job and that balance is not even real. I have found myself in love with personal development, which has led me to leaving my full time job with nothing but a prayer and a ton of faith. Today, I'm bringing you inspiration through my own journey and interviews with amazing people who have followed their dreams, and teaching you how to love yourself and become who you are meant to be. It is time to redefine life as a working mom, and I hope that you find the inspiration here to follow your dreams and take your own path through this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast I am so excited to share with you this interview that I did with Michelle Jewsbury. It is, guys, just, it is deep and it may trigger some folks. We are going to be talking about domestic violence. Michelle is a survivor of domestic violence. So it may, I want to just put out there that if this is a topic that could trigger you, this is an episode that could trigger you. But I highly, highly recommend you listen to it because Michelle and I, talk about her journey, uh, writing her book, doing a memoir. It's called But I Love Him, which goes into why she stayed and how she got out and she how she goes and travels around the country talking about not just overcoming and being a survivor of domestic violence, but overcoming obstacles. It is It is a beautiful story. Michelle is a beautiful woman who is putting her soul out there to help others. She has started a nonprofit. Like I said, she's traveling all around the country. We talk about her journey with spirituality. And then we also talk about if you're you know someone who's going through domestic violence and you are on the outside looking in and how you can be a friend and how you can be a support to that person. So check it out, listen in. It is a powerful, powerful episode. Um, So here we go. Michelle Jewsberry. All right. I'm here with Michelle and I'm so excited that you are here today. And I know we met through um, like a mutual friend who had said, Nikki, I think you should talk to Michelle. I think she'd be great. And we went back and forth via email for a few months. And finally got to connect on the phone and I'm like, yes, like this is this is perfect. I wanna have you on the podcast. So thank you so so much for being here.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much for for having me here. And I'm super excited to share my story and I hope to impact and empower some some women and even some men that may be
0: tuning in and listening to your podcast. Yeah, I think you will. I think I know you will about that. I know you will. So so tell us a little bit just about who you are, and kind of what you're doing right now.
1: Okay. Um, well, my name is Michelle Jewsbury, and I do a few things. So I run a nonprofit organization that helps survivors of domestic abuse and sexual gender-based violence worldwide. Right now, we're located in Ghana, in Sierra Leone, Africa. We're a fiscal sponsor for an organization in Nepal, and we're looking to expand to the L.A. area. I am a survivor of domestic violence, and that's why I've focused my efforts on helping to eradicate domestic violence. I've just finished my book called But I Love Him, and it is my memoir. It's um, a really deep dive into what happened. And if you pick up my book, if you decide to go to Amazon and purchase my book, uh, be prepared, prepare your hearts because it brings back a lot of memories, but it also makes you feel like you're not alone. Um, And I travel the world right now, speaking internationally about overcoming obstacles with my specialty in domestic violence and trauma, philanthropy, and small business and entrepreneurship.
0: Oh, so exciting. And I will say right before we talked a while ago, when we first had our conversation, I had watched a little snippet of when you did um, the... I say the one woman show you're when you did it on stage and I was like, Oh wow. That's, and just kind of that little snippet that I saw that you did. Um, yeah. I was, this was pretty, you have a very powerful message. To well, share. thank
1: you. Yeah, I am. Um, so my director is mm-hmm. Jessica Lynn Johnson and I ended up the last conversation that I actually had with my abuser without attorneys present was the end of 2015, uh, about mid-2015, I started to realize how bad the abuse was. So I was with my abuser for four years. Uh, The first time my head went through the drywall was about four months into the relationship, and I didn't even realize it was domestic violence. So I stayed, and I stayed, and I stayed. And there were two beatings that were so bad that I should have died. Uh, The October beating I mean, I was black and blue and bloodied, and people thought that I had jaundice in one of my eyes for about nine months after all the bruises healed. And coming from, from that situation... Uh, my therapist, which I'm a huge advocate of therapy and counseling and speaking up. I mean, that's what Unsilenced Voices is all about is speaking up. And that's what I encourage people to do because that's the only way you can heal. But when I I, I left and he started, um, excuse me, and my therapist suggested that I started documenting things, that's when I really discovered, wow, Michelle, how the, how the heck did you do this? So when I started writing, it came out in book format. And I'm a very spiritual woman, so I was going to a guided autobiography class during that time, and the women around me kept saying, hey, you should go to this class with Jessica Lynn Johnson and maybe write your show into a solo show, because I'm also an actress, I love acting. And I was so hesitant, I'm like, what, really? I don't want to do that. So I went, and the first class that I went to with Jessica, I literally sat there with my arms crossed over my chest going, what am I doing here? And then lo and behold, about, I don't know, eight months later, I had my show called But I Love Him, which is the same title of my book, and I literally beat myself up on stage for 65 minutes. I played myself, I played my abuser, and I played... Uh, roughly ten to fifteen other characters at that time. Um, it was very therapeutic, but it was also it it showed people really what what it looks like to be involved in domestic violence.
0: And what do you and what do you think that that did for someone who's <clears throat> never experienced it? Kind of seeing that and kind of maybe seeing that raw and real even up on stage or reading your book, what do you think that means to somebody who's never been through that to hear your story or read something like this?
1: Well, the biggest issue that I've come across the, um, the, the, the combativeness that I have with, with people who have never experienced domestic violence is that they don't understand why you stay Everybody always likes to blame the victim. People are always like, well, why'd you stay? The first time your head went through the drywall, you should have left immediately. Um, The emotional abuse. I mean, the first time that he called you the C word or the B word or, or things like that or cussed at you or yelled at you, why didn't you just leave? And what I want to do is show people the cycle of domestic violence. And, and by somebody reading my book or somebody watching my play, you'll see the cycle because it starts with praises, and affirmations from your abuser. I love you. You're amazing. You're the, you're the best person that I've ever met in my life. I'm so proud of you. And those praises quickly turn to insults. You know, you can never accomplish anything. What are you doing with your life? Um, what do you do all day? I heard that from my abuser all the time. That was, that was hard. What do you do all day? And I, um, he wouldn't let me get a job, and so I, it, it was just really difficult. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here, um, but people need to realize that. The walking on eggshells, the big blow up, and then the apology stage that happens in that cycle. The apology stage is really what, what keeps victims trapped in relationships. The I'm so sorry. I promise I will never do it again. I love you. I just got triggered. I drank a few too many drinks and you irritated me. You know,
0: things like that. Yeah. And then what was it what was it for you that really was like, I need to, to walk away? Like, how was that? What was that like for you? I mean, because clearly there's, there's a lot of confliction of, you know, I mean, but just the title alone is, but I love him. Mm-hmm. And then to get up and then walk away. Like, what was that like for you? Uh, it was actually very
1: difficult. So mm-hmm. I was with my abuser for technically we were together physically for three years. And then one year after that, we were considered friends mm-hmm. uh, where he so emotionally and financially abused me. Mm-hmm. Um, but during those first three years, I had left him over seven times. I packed my car, I tried to leave, I always came back. And that's normal in the cycle of abuse. Victims will come back for so many different reasons. And like I said, that apology stage will keep you. But in order to break free from an abusive relationship, you have to have a breaking point. Now, Every person has a different breaking point. When I found out that my abuser was having affairs on me, that was when in my head it went from, okay, you can emotionally, sexually, financially, and physically abuse me, but you cheat on me? Oh, my gosh, I can't handle that. And it doesn't make sense. I mean, our breaking points don't make sense to anybody else. Heck, my breaking point doesn't make sense to me sometimes. But when I found out that he was cheating on me, having had multiple women, had an actual affair for months with one of these women, I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I remember when I found out I was on a computer. It was his computer. I was, I was looking on, on the computer to watch a movie because I couldn't sleep that night. And a Facebook message popped up and that's when i found out i mean it was an intimate facebook message and i clicked it and i'm not a snooper but if something pops up you're like huh what is this so i clicked it and then i started reading and my heart sank i went into the bedroom woke him up of course he denied and blamed me grabbed my phone and threw it broke shattered everywhere um and then he finally came clean And from that point on, it wasn't the same. I was emotionally distraught. I drank a lot of alcohol during that time, so much to the fact that I would lay on the kitchen floor and he would come and bring a pillow and put it under my head, or he would hold my hair back while I threw up in the toilet. I didn't know how to handle it, and I was self-medicating, but that was really my breaking point when I started to discover that I needed to get out. So we stayed together for a short period time after that. And I had gone on my first mission trip. Uh, When I got back from Kenya, he had, um, you know, he had said, you know, maybe we should just be friends. And I remember going to the beach with him and we sat and we wrote what friendship looks like and we put it into a bottle and threw it into the ocean. And then from there, I left and moved back to Los Angeles. And I'm lucky because he let me go because oftentimes victims and survivors are stuck and they're trapped because their abuser won't let them go and they have to escape different ways. You know, they need help and resources to escape. But I was, I was let go. But he still, like I said, emotionally and financially abused me. He used to tell me, you know, yeah, I know I have a girlfriend, but you're my best friend, Michelle. And I want you to fly in our plane with us and go here and go there. So it was, it was this psychological mind, mind game. It was, it was crazy.
0: Oh my goodness. So how, when did kind of the therapy and your spirituality, like, I'd love to kind of hear how that all kind of tied into coming out of this or handling all of this and really coming Mm -hmm. to a point where you're like, I'm going to speak out and I'm going to get on stage and I'm going to show everybody what's going, like what happened to me and really like literally like just like putting everything out on the table. Like how did all of that kind of play in for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, I wasn't a Christian my whole life. I became a Christian in uh, Easter, April, 2010. So when I became a Christian, of course, like most people think, everything's going to be hunky-dory and fine after that. Of course, that didn't happen. But by becoming a Christian, I had faith in something that was bigger than myself. So I ended up moving from, at that point, I was in Portland, Oregon, to Los Angeles. Shortly after I moved to Los Angeles is when I reconnected because my abuser and I, we'll call him Paul, Paul and I were acquaintances in Portland and he had lived in California so when I moved to California we had reconnected and that's when he started pursuing me and wanting to date me and I remember talking with a girlfriend walking through a crosswalk in Los Angeles telling her about my new boyfriend and I remember distinctly hearing God yell no and I didn't listen and I did not listen And I stayed in that relationship. And when things started to get bad, you know, five, six, seven months into the relationship, which is a very short period of time, I would go on hikes and I would yell and scream and curse at God. Why is he like this? Why can't you fix him? This and that. And what's interesting is God would always bring me back to the verse of forgiveness how many times do you forgive your abuser? Seven times? No, seven times, 70 times. You know. And I thought that forgiveness meant stay with him. So I stayed. Leaving that relationship, I realized that forgiveness meant I needed to forgive him for what he did to me so I can let it go, but walk away and God had my back. So, it was a very difficult journey, and I really would go on a lot of hikes and talk with God. I remember going to a Bible study when i first when things first started getting really bad and paul didn 't like the bible study he didn 't want me going to this church mm-hmm. i didn 't open up about what was happening to me, but I did it more of a third party. I know this girl who 's experiencing some of this um, emotional abuse and and she's been physically hurt by this man, and she needs help, and I, she doesn't know what to do. What should I tell her? So these women, they're smart. I was the youngest woman in there by, like, 30 years. They didn't judge me. They knew it was me, and they just helped and guided me. And God had always been by my side this whole time, and he's still by my side walking with me in faith.
0: So, yeah. Oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. So what, what would you say, I guess, to, you know, advice for someone who's maybe watching this from the outsider or you know maybe they're like those women that are in the study and they're like i see this happening to a friend a sister whatever what what could someone do as an outsider as a support got for it. somebody who's going through this because you know you don't want to say we'll just leave him it's because it it's not that easy. So what, what would you say to someone in that situation?
1: Yeah. So for, for me in my case, I didn't tell anybody what was happening. I, I lied to my family. I lied Mm -hmm. to my friends. When I first started opening up a little bit about what was going on, the immediate response was get out. You need to get out. You need to leave now. And like you just said, you can't just go in and tell them you got to leave because there's the cycle of abuse and the cycle's gonna continue until the the victim or survivor is ready to really break free. So my advice to friends or family who are watching and and seeing what's happening to their loved ones is just to be there. Don't judge, because you're gonna tell them over and over again, you deserve better, you're loved, we love you, get out. They're not gonna leave until they're ready. So they're going to come to your house. They're going to knock on your door with a black eye or a bloodied nose. Mm-hmm. Just open your door and say, you're more than welcome to sleep on my couch. I love you. I'm always going to be here for you. Mm-hmm. Don't judge them because that happened to me. And I lost a lot of friends because I wasn't ready. I, I really wasn't ready to leave that relationship. And it hurt me and it hurt my friends and, because of them backing away from me and not staying close to me. We're, we're no
0: longer friends any longer. Yeah. And that's gotta be hard too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. what, what is this when you speak up and you're speaking out and you're going out and you're talking, like, what is that for you? Like, what is your intention and your mission behind, you know, everything that you're doing here?
1: Well, like I said, when I left the relationship, I started documenting everything. And then I realized that my message is just too big not to share. So when I, um, when I left, I was vice president for a nonprofit organization called Young Vision Africa. And they work primarily in Sierra Leone, Africa. So I went to Sierra Leone with the organization and I ended up speaking to two different groups of women. Now YVA had nothing to do with women's empowerment or domestic okay. violence. Their focus was children. But I wanted to to see with my own eyes what's going on. And these, uh, these meetings, I should say, one was a group of college girls and another group was a group of elderly women. I realized how bad and extreme domestic violence was. I mean almost every single one of them in both groups had experienced some form of domestic violence or sexual violence against them. So I I decided to dedicate my life to ending and eradicating abuse, domestic abuse. So I left YVA and came back to Los Angeles and I worked on Skid Row at the downtown women's center. I volunteered there for six months and I thought that I was going to be working there, but I, I, it didn't get the job, you know? So I was like, okay, God, I didn't get the job. I've been here volunteering. I'm learning so much about this organization. The Downtown Women's Center, it's a wonderful organization that empowers, impacts, and really helps women off the streets. And one, over one third of the women who are on the streets on Skid Row are there because of domestic violence. So I started to learn so much. And then I interviewed with another organization that works in Kenya to help kids out of sex trafficking themselves, you know, selling themselves a seven-year-old for 50 cents for a bag of rice. Oh, so sad. So I flew to Oakland and had this meeting with the CEO and the board. And I felt God's presence within that organization, but I didn't feel like I was supposed to be there. So then again, I was confused. The next day, I walk around the streets of San Francisco asking God, okay, now what? And uh, he sent me a message. And this, this man, this gentleman uh, came to me, a gay guy, and we started talking. I was having a glass of Chardonnay and eating clam chowder and, and uh, I told him my story. And he said, you know, you should really start a nonprofit. And that's when, that's when I said, you know, that's not the first time I've heard that. I guess this is the time I should probably listen, and within a month we were a 501 c three and things have been going smoothly. I mean, every nonprofit needs funding, so we need funding desperately, but with the resources that we're working with now, like I said, we've had, we have six partners, and in Sierra Leone, we are booming right now. Uh, the last sensitization meeting we had, we had over eighty individuals, both men and women from the community, come and share their stories. And it's a taboo subject to talk about this. It's a a family issue. So by them speaking up and speaking out, we're now impacting thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people all over the world right now.
0: That's amazing. And to think if it weren't for that, they probably wouldn't be speaking out. Yeah. They would still be dealing with it. So what is that? So so much of what you're doing isn't, you know, you said you're bringing it over to LA. Yeah. Doing it here. So what is that? How is that going to change? I mean, because obviously, you know, going to Sierra Leone and doing it there is a very different culture than it is here. So what is that for you of bringing this over to the United States and bringing it into LA and how does that feel or look like for you?
1: Well, I have a lot of ideas, but what looks like is going to happen. So there's an organization in Los Angeles that I am doing my best to try to collaborate with. They're very difficult to to pin down, uh, but they've been around for a very long time. and And I believe that collaboration with other organizations and with other people is the only way we're going to stop domestic violence and sexual abuse. Because you can't. It's not one. For, you know, my organization, your organization. You do that. You do. No. It's we have to work together. So what our plan is, is it's going to be a different type of programming. We'll do sensitization meetings in Los Angeles, which means community meetings, which means inviting people to come out so we can openly discuss what domestic violence looks like. But what we really want to do is help provide pro bono legal assistance to survivors of domestic abuse. Now, the organization that we're trying to work with right now, has that already established but they need more attorneys. I met an attorney here in Los Angeles who has now reached out to over a hundred different attorneys. I've met with another one and she's meeting with her board. Um, So we'll be able to have those attorneys to help educate and give advice to survivors and victims at the time so they can move forward with restraining order actions or legal issues, lawsuits, suing them for assault and battery. And and I believe that that's extremely important because you need to have some type of closure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then what, so what is, you, what do you kind of see, and this is hopefully not in my ignorance, but again, this is not something that I've personally ever dealt with. So what, when these women come in and they, you know, they share their stories and now they're getting this advice and what is, then what happens for them? Like, where do they go from there? And then what happens and how, you know, I mean, and if it's not your nonprofit, like just kind of what happens for them and how do they move to the next phase of their life? Well, yeah.
1: it's an uphill battle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big uphill battle. It's not going to be easy. Yeah. And anything worthwhile is never easy, right? But leaving an abusive relationship is is difficult on so many levels, and especially if you 're with a man or a woman sometimes, especially if you 're with a man who who won 't let you leave, then there are other issues that you have to deal with. you need to go to an organization that can help you know relocate you. Maybe you might have to change your name. Um, if you have children, you've got to be able to to go through child services and 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 get the help that's necessary. It's an uphill battle, but you just got to keep going. Yeah. And that's the biggest advice that I could give to somebody escaping and trying to escape is because every time you go back, no matter how many times you think they're going to change, they're not going to change. I went through couples therapy with my abuser. And he didn't change. After he and I split, he put his next girlfriend's head through a glass window. He didn't change, you know. So that's what I want your listeners to hear is it's not gonna change. So you've got to keep moving forward. Now, if it's not with our organization, you need to find the resources. So on unsilencedvoices.org, there is a resources page to where there is something in every single state we've listed Mm -hmm. where, and then some international as well, some international organizations that you can contact that you can say, I need help now. There are many resources in the United States. How do I do this? And just keep reaching out until you get the help
0: that you need. Yeah. That's great. So good to hear. And where, so where, when you're going and doing your speaking, who, who are you? Are you speaking to the victims? Are you speaking to, like, who are you speaking to? Got it. So it's, um,
1: it changes drastically because I'm not just focused on domestic violence, but overcoming obstacles as a whole. Yeah. Now, when I'm invited to speak or discuss or interview specifically about my experience uh, in domestic violence and giving resources or safe dating tips or whatever it is that, that the interviewer would like, I I just jump right in and and kind of um, guide them through DV and guide them through you know my personal experience because my personal experience a lot of people especially now that I'm doing private coaching talk to me and say I've never told anybody this for ten years and holding on to that for ten years. <laughs> I mean, there there is so much emotional trauma, physical trauma, and there's something called adverse childhood experiences that if you experience, say you experience sexual abuse or, or domestic violence in your home as a child and you grow up with this until you're 19 years old, you finally move out. Well, eventually, because you haven't dealt with that or, or spoke to anybody or, or really tried to heal those, those, those wounds, it comes out in ailments when you're older. So yeah. Illness, sicknesses, autoimmune diseases. You're always not feeling well. And it's because of the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences that you went through. So I, I, I discuss a lot of that. And then, you know, when I go out and specifically talk to entrepreneurs or small businesses or, um, or anybody else really, I, I focus on overcoming obstacles by using my story because I went through a huge obstacle where I should have died a few times, where where people are, are surprised that I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing and speaking out because my abuser is a very powerful man. And I'm, I was scared. I was really scared. But now I'm, I'm just following God's footsteps. So I just use my story to encourage people that no matter what, obstacle you need to overcome or that you need to take that next step. Yeah, You can do it because I did it. You can do it.
0: I love that. Overcoming. Out. And I think we, we look at our obstacles and you think, wow, like kind of what you had to do is so big and you're like, but I got like this little itty bitty obstacle over here, but yet it's still the same. You still need to do the same things to get, through it and to get over it no matter if it's a mountain or a molehill like it's still there and it's still something that you have to get up and walk over yeah
1: no matter what it is I mean we all have something in our lives that we have to overcome and it's all difficult I don't care if it's you know if you're trying to match your shoes in the morning and then somebody cuts you off on the road and you're just having a horrible day and you spill coffee all over your shirt. That's still a huge obstacle to try to stay positive and, and be in the right mindset. And then say you come home and you have an argument with your spouse and your children aren't listening to you. And there's still obstacles. Just because I experience traumatic abuse and you may not be experiencing abuse. Those obstacles are still something where you need to take steps to try to change and shift your mindset
0: and, and, and overcome. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what tools would you kind of, what tools are in your toolbox when it, when it comes to those moments? Cause as, as you were describing, I'm like, are you in my life? Because that's pretty much <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> But what kind of tools do you have in your toolbox for those, those moments when you're like, everything has literally just gone to crap today, you know? And like in that moment of like, okay, I need to reframe or reposition or look at it in a different way. Like, so what do you do in those moments? Sit for five minutes,
1: really take a few breaths and realize life isn't that bad. And you know, I, I sometimes have extreme anxiety when I like drive and I have these um, these people cutting me off. And like we were talking about spilling stuff, I, I drink a lot of green juice. And I remember one time I left my apartment and I was in like this beautiful little outfit that I was going to wear for the day and I, I didn't have a lid on my juice and I decided to take the stairs. So I opened the door to go down the stairs and the door came back and hit me in the face. And the green juice went all over me, all over the door. At that point, instead of cussing and screaming and yelling, I literally just stood there. And sometimes you just got to laugh at yourself. And sometimes you got to be like, you know, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to die right now. This is not the end of the world. Um, I, I can overcome this. So it's really taking a couple of minutes to yourself in, in solace in quiet time. And I think that's extremely important. Yeah, I agree.
0: Because you could have just as easily just kick the, you know, you're like, oh, come on, you kick oh. the cup and it goes. I mean, on. yeah, I mean, I was mad. Don't get me wrong.
1: <laughs> I'm, it's not like I'm the saint, yeah. uh, but uh, you do just got to like take a step back sometimes yeah. and and realize that it's gonna
0: be okay. Yeah. And I know those moments where you're like, did this, like, you you can't even fathom. You're like, did this just happen? Like, is this my day? And you're like, yeah. like, what? You know, for me, it's like the kids are doing something or my husband. And I'm like, and I just stop and I'm like, this, this isn't, okay, hold on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, I can't even comprehend. You're like, yeah. did anything that just happened just happened. Like, we just need a moment to, like, Let's reevaluate. Like, let's look at our scenario. You know? Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. And then what is happening? And of Do course, you know? prayer.
1: You know, reach out to God too, because sometimes things are overwhelming. And if things are extremely overwhelming in your life, don't sit on it by yourself. You have you're never meant to be by yourself, and it says that throughout the Bible. No matter what your belief system is. You can't just hold on to everything. So reach out to somebody, a friend, a relative that you trust that won't judge you. And if you really need to um, talk through some things and overcome some larger issues, counseling and therapy and things like that as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And literally just I've done that and been like, God, like just tell me what I need to do right now because... (laughs) Exactly. Like, no, and it's in your hands and you just kind of throw something at me and I'll be paying attention, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think some it, you know, it's, it's funny. I was raised Catholic Christian. So, you know, it's always when you hear someone who's like, oh, I didn't come to the faith until later. It's such a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, I was raised this way and I kind of fell off. And now it's like within the last, basically kind of having children and being like, okay, Like we're going to bring this back together and really saying, you know what, how I pray to God and look to God and have my spirituality a part of my life, it's really come back into my life. And I love having that conversation of hearing when you're saying like, I heard God being like, no, and you're like, no, I'm not going to listen, you know? And sometimes we have to go kicking and screaming, but if we stop and listen, the things we hear are really incredible. Yeah. Sometimes we hear them a few times, but- just having that connection of the spirit and saying, oh, if, whether it's God or whatever it is you believe in, there's something out there that's higher than us. And I think we can all, you know, agree to that. We're not just, you know. Being, yeah. And,
1: you know, that brings me to something I, I'd love to bring up because yeah. you said, you know, God yelling at you, no, you know, what happened with me. And I, I, want, I want people to realize that, that no matter how many times you disobey God, he is still there, and it brings me back to the prodigal son, where the son left and went away, spent all the inheritance. I don't, uh, all oh, of the. I know. Yeah. Of, yeah. You know, but some of you viewers may not know yes. the story, and and he comes back, and he comes back humbled and broke and distraught, and his dad throws a huge party for him and says, "Welcome home. Yeah. I loved you." I still love you and I missed you. And that's what God is. That's what Jesus is for us, for sure. Yeah, because I still to this day, I mean, sometimes I hear from God and I choose to ignore him or, you know, talk to myself and say, oh, maybe that's just me thinking that. Yeah. Um, you know, we all do that. Is that my self-conscious, my subconscious, or is that, you know, God talking to me? But no matter how many times you, you do something you can go back and and he will still be there. And if an abuser is listening to this podcast right now as well, get the help that you need and Jesus still loves you, but you got to get the help that you need and make the changes that you have to make in order to move forward and Jesus has got you in his arms.
0: I can't say anything else. That was <laughs> yeah. Perfect and beautiful and the the story of the prodigal son is You know, it's, it is, it's one of those, you look at, you know, the brother and he's angry that he's coming home, but at the same time, the father's like, I've been here for you the whole time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can come battered and bruised to God and he's going to go, come on. All right. I got you. You know, let's do this. And I always like to think of in my home, my dad always had the footprints prayer hanging in our dining room. And, you know, it's like, why are there only one set of footprints? Well, that's because I was carrying you. I never left you. I just picked you up and carried you. You just needed a little more help. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I love I that. I love that. Prayer. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so before I start crying, because I feel like there's a theme in my podcast lately. I think almost like so many people have cried, like doing. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Ah, well, like, you're like, oh yeah, this is so beautiful. So, <laughs> tell us how people. I mean, you you put out your Unsilenced Voices website. So tell us where we can find you. Um, I'll link up your book. So tell us all of that really good, juicy stuff that we need to know.
1: Okay, awesome. So uh, Unsilenced Voices needs help. So if anybody's listening and, you know, we need interns, we need help spreading the word and the message. Uh, of course, we also need financial help. So you can find Unsilenced Voices on www.unsilencedvoices.org. Um, and you, you can get all the information you need right from the website. Uh to get a hold of me, there's a couple of different ways. So if you would like a free digital download of the introduction of But I Love Him, all you need to do is text obstacles to 26786, and you'll get a free link to the introduction of my book. And from there you could purchase it. And then if if you want to dive deep and further, there's a there's a um a form where you can fill out if you're interested in coaching. If you just want to kind of check me out, michellejewsbury.com. I'm on Twitter at mjewsbury, but I'm primarily on Facebook and Instagram. I have a business Facebook page called Michelle Jewsbury Speaks. And then, of course, my Instagram is Michelle Jewsbury. And it's spelled J-E-W-S-B-U-R-Y
0: awesome and we will link all of that up oh my gosh Michelle this was thank you thank you so much for stepping out to share your story for being here on the podcast for being so open for doing everything you're doing with your nonprofit and helping um, women who are dealing with domestic abuse and helping just every people overcome obstacles and saying that if you know we can all do it we can all do it so thank you
1: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I really, really appreciate this. And you know, we're changing lives together, Nikki, and that's what matters. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me on the Stepping Up podcast. If you loved this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast on iTunes so that we can share this message with more and more people. Together, let's redefine what life as a working mom looks like and feels like. Until next time, have a great one.